We are working through the minor prophets. We have studied Hosea and learned a lot about God's love. And I trust that when you want to know about God's love, you'll turn back to Hosea and read how God's love is victorious because it's been displayed in our lives through His Son, Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to begin a short study on the book of Joel. Now, I need to remind you that the minor prophets are not in chronological order. Joel is the second to the earliest minor prophet. Obadiah is the earliest. And so as we pick out the minor prophets, we are getting snippets of God's work in the life of his people. Joel means Jehovah is God. And Joel wrote during a 40-year time frame when Joash was king of Judah. Now, Joash was the eighth king of Judah. And he began as a godly king and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But then he became a cruel tyrant after the death of the high priest. Now that's significant because it was the high priest who was a reformer and tore down the towers of Baal and brought Israel back to God and to the worship of the true God. But Joash abandoned the house of the Lord. He executed Zechariah, who had rebuked him and confronted him in his sin, and he eventually was assassinated by the palace guard. And in the midst of all of this chaos and confusion, Joel writes this book. And he writes to remind us that God is God and God is on his throne. I want you to know that this morning. No matter what's going on in your life, God is not taken by surprise. God is God and God is on his throne. And God will not forsake his people. God will not forsake his people. Amen? It is true. And as Joel rehearses what has happened in the lives of God's people, he reminds us that God is still God. And God is on the throne. Now, we're going to pick out a verse in, in Joel. It's actually Joel chapter 2, verse 27, and it's one that we want to commit to memory this morning. It's on the screen in front of us. Let's read it together this morning. We'll start with the reference, and we'll read the verse, and then we'll follow it with the reference. All right, you ready? Joel two twenty-seven. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. Joel 2.27. Joel was a prophet that reminded God's people of his promise of peace. God's people were in the midst of chaos. They were in the midst of struggle. And God had said that he would establish them in the land. That was the covenant to Abraham. But yet God's people were finding anything but peace in the land. And as we look at Joel, I want you to know a couple of truths. Truth number one is this, God has a plan. 
God always has a plan. God always, God always has had a plan. Do you remember Noah? You remember how the earth got flooded? You remember how God saved Noah and his wife and his family? God had a plan. Remember Joseph? Joseph was sold off into slavery, ended up in Egypt, ended up in prison. But God had a plan. And when his brothers finally came and met with him in Egypt, Joseph said this, what you did is you sold me off. You planned that for evil. But God had it all planned out. He planned it for good. God has a plan. And no matter what's going on in our lives, I want you to know that God will fulfill his promise, his covenant, and God will bring his people peace. Now, we need to talk just a little bit about peace this morning. What is peace? Peace is not the absence of conflict. Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is confidence and assurance in the midst of the conflict. Paul put it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. God has a plan. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God. And I like this. That passes all understanding. How do you explain it? Shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prophet Isaiah said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. And I like this last part, neither let it be afraid. Peace is confidence and assurance in the conflict. And peace is trust in the one who is in control. Peace is trust in the one who is in control. I learned Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as a youngster. But I have determined that it has become more meaningful to me the older I get. And it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. The older I get, the less I know and understand. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I like what one translation says, and he will make your paths straight. You feel like you're on a crooked road and can't see around the next bend, God will make our paths straight because our God is in control. Amen? 
Now, let me give you an outline to Joel. And we're only going to spend a couple of Sundays here in Joel. So I want you to get these truths. Joel chapter 1 talks about a plague. And we'll talk about that this morning. Joel then, in chapter 2, begins to remind us that God enters our lives even when there is a plague. Beginning with verse 12 of chapter 2, God encourages us, advises us to return unto him. And then he talks about a coming spirit and then gives to us the promise of everlasting or eternal peace. So you can outline Joel this way. Plagues chapter 1. Chapter 2, enter God, advice to return, coming spirit. And then he ends the book by eternal or everlasting peace in our lives. So over the next couple of weeks, let me encourage you, read the book of Joel. Just three little chapters. But says so much to encourage our hearts. Joel chapter 1, are you there? Let me begin with verse 4. What the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts have eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts have eaten. And what the hopping locusts left, the destroying locusts have eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep. And wail, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin, wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn and the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of soil. Wail, O vine dressers. For the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished, the vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up. The gladness dries up from the children of men. There's a plague in the land. Now the plague that Joel is talking about has just taken place. And Joel is looking back over the last few years that have brought calamity and collapse to his people. And Joel recognizes that the people are suffering Now, Joel also is pointing toward a day just a few years down the road when Syria is going to come in and take the northern kingdom and make them captive. And armies are going to come up against Israel. And a great plague of foreigners is going to enter and devastate the land. Now, as I read that description And understand how terrible it must have been. I recognize that many times in my life I face various plagues. Now it may not be that the locusts have come in. It may not be that the vine is eaten up. 
But you ever feel desolate in your Christian life? You ever just struggle with stuff and feel like there's no refreshment going on in your life? It may never happen to you, but it's happened to me. And it happens to me a whole lot more frequent than I like to admit. Now, as I look at this plague, I have to ask myself, why, God? Why did you do that? If you're so good and you're so in control and you've got everything worked out, why? Well, there are three reasons that I want to give you this morning that God brings these things into our lives. The first reason is devastation. We need to be reminded of how dry we can become because so often we get complacent in our Christian lives. Now, verse 4 gives to us a little bit of idea about the sequence. Did you read it? What the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts have eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts have eaten. What the hopping locusts left, the destroying locusts have eaten. If you have a King James verse translation of the scripture, it talks about the palmer worm, the locust, the canker worm, the caterpillar. If you have a new King James, it talks about the chewing locusts, the locusts, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts. And throughout chapter 1, Joel reminds us of the devastation that takes place. The Tyndale Bible Commentary says this, With serrated jaws rasping from side to side, adult locusts consume daily their body weight in food. It is estimated that a single swarm can eat in one day what 40,000 people eat in one year. They are able to live four days without feeding, surviving on stored fat. Locust swarms have been known to blanket 2,000 square miles, stripping vegetation, fouling the air with their excrement, and triggering epidemics as they die and rot. Now that's pretty descriptive. But you know what? When I'm going through it, when you're going through it, that's exactly how I feel. I feel like I'm being eaten alive. Now here's the lesson of devastation. Left unattended, small things can do great damage in our lives. And did you notice the sequence? From locusts to swarming locusts to hopping locusts to destroying locusts. In your life and my life, we sometimes say, well, how bad can sin be? It's not that bad. But when we do not deal with the small things in our life, they can grow into consuming things of our lives. 
careful of devastation and plague. There's a second lesson that I think is very important, and that's this. Discipline. True love teaches us that actions have consequences. True love teaches us that actions have consequences. I am reading through the Bible again this year. And this year I am reading the plan that comes with the daily bread. It has Old Testament and and New Testament combined. First time I've ever done that. I've usually just read through the Bible. Working through Deuteronomy right now. Deuteronomy chapter 11 talks about God putting before his people a blessing and a curse. A blessing if we will follow God's word and truth and live it out in our lives and a curse if we turn away from it. You know, God loves us enough to bring us back to himself. All you have to do is read the Psalms and study David's life. I think it's interesting that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet, David committed adultery, David committed murder. David's family turned on him, and he was run out of town as his son ruled in his stead. And time and time again in the Psalms, David cries out to the Lord, Lord, don't forget me. Don't hide your face from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. True love. True love teaches us that actions have consequences. That's part of the play. There's a third reason that God brings plagues into our lives, and that's that God has a design. And there are two purposes in this design, first of all, that we might learn lessons. I have learned more lessons in the valley than I ever learned on the mountaintop. I have learned more things when I have been struggling with life than when things were going pretty well. And God wants to teach us some things. Keep your finger here in Joel and turn over to the book of Hebrews, will you please? Hebrews chapter 12. Let me begin with verse 5. Hebrews 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's right. For the moment, all discipline's painful. Yeah. 
but the purpose is, the design of it is to yield peaceable fruit of righteousness in our lives. And sometimes there are plagues that we face, dry times, chaotic times, that God is just trying to perfect us and bring us back to himself. Back to Joel chapter 1, folks, because there's a second purpose. Joel chapter 1, look with me at verse 3. Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children to another generation. One of the purposes of plagues is so that we might tell it to others, so that they too can learn, so that we might pass it on and let others understand how God works in our lives. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that we are to teach our children. And we're to teach our children when we sit in the house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down and raise up. It's a continual process in our lives. And you know why it's such a process? Because it's passing on the truth of God's word so that they might grow up and know God. I am thankful for those who work with our children here at Calvary Baptist Church. I am thankful that we spend time teaching our children. I'm thankful we still have a Sunday school hour. A lot of churches don't. I'm thankful that we have a Wednesday night joyful noise that builds into the lives of our children. I am thankful for yesterday. Kids Fun Fest building into kids' lives and sharing with them and presenting the gospel so that children can trust Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Amen? It's critical that we pass it on. I want to take one more leap, and I want to leap back to the book of Judges. Turn there, please. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. you have a Bible like mine, it's page 256. If you don't, you're on your own. Judges chapter 2. Look with me at verse 7, will you please? And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Amen? The people served the Lord. Because they recognized what God had done. Never miss an opportunity to share what God has done in your life. Pass it on. And may I just insert right here, it's so important that you pass on your salvation testimonies. As you know, we have had a number of folks who have been promoted to glory recently at Calvary Baptist Church. And one of the first questions I ask when I visit with a family is, tell me how Bob received Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And you know the answer I usually get? Well, 
I'm not real sure, but as a kid, he went to. Someday, unless Jesus comes back, some preacher is going to stand in your home because you've been promoted to glory. And if he's worth his salt, he's going to ask the family, tell me how receive Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And if you want your family to be able to answer that question, you better tell them. Because otherwise they'll never know. Are you still in Judges 2? Sorry about that rabbit trail. Verse 10. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. They all died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger, and they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. Now, were you keeping track? We have Joshua's generation. We have the generation after that that knew what God had done, and that third generation abandoned God because they had not knowledge of what God was doing in their lives. Three generations. And they left God and served Baal and bowed down to Ashtaroth. It's critical that we pass it. Back to Joel, please. Joel is the prophet of peace. And after we read chapter 1, we discover that God has not given up on his people. Enter God. I want you to know that God is the one that we can depend upon to meet our needs. Now, there are two events that Joel is going to talk about. We're going to talk about one this morning very quickly, and then we're going to talk about the other one next week. The first event that Joel is going to talk about is the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is mentioned five times in Joel. It's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 2, verse 1, verse 11, verse 28, verse 31, and then in chapter 3, verse 14. The day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is different from the day of Christ, and I want to make this distinction this morning. The day of Christ deals with the rapture of the church and the glorification of the saints, and the blessings of reward through God's people. Now, if we were to look at a chart that may help us understand future events, we are living in the church age. 
The next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the rapture of the church is going to take all Christians, all believers to heaven, right? And in heaven there are two events that are going to take place. The beam of judgment, judgment seat of Christ, and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And those two events are going to take place in a seven-year time frame. Now, just a parenthesis, and we'll get to this in a minute. That seven-year time frame is the tribulation period in which God is going to judge the earth. At the end of that seven years, we have the second coming of Christ, where he will set up his millennial kingdom, which is a thousand-year reign. Now, the day of Christ has to do with the blessing of God to his people, taking them to, to, uh, to heaven, judging them and not judging them in relationship to eternity, but our works are going to be judged, tried so as by fire, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb, a party beyond all parties, as we become the bride of Christ, and then we get to come back with him on white horses to rule and reign for a thousand years. Cool! That is the day of Christ. Now, the day of the Lord that Joel talks about is stuff going on here on earth. The day of the Lord begins at the rapture of the church and deals with the judgment during that seven-year tribulation period and the millennial reign of Christ as he comes back and judges the living nations. That's the day of the Lord and takes us then into eternity. It's the day of the Lord that deals with this judgment period, this tribulation period. It's the day of the Lord that, that deals with this tribulation period and judgment. But it's the day of the Lord that also deals with the millennial reign of Christ in which he will rule and reign and bring peace to this earth like it's never seen before. And Joel helps us understand that in the midst of chaos, God has a plan and God's plan is to bring his people peace. And he helps us recognize that in the day of the Lord. Now there's a second event that we will look at next week, and that's the coming of the Holy Spirit. Coming of the Holy Spirit is referenced twice in Joel, and as you read Joel this week, let me encourage you to underline or highlight the coming of the Holy Spirit. May I remind you, God has a plan. Amen? No matter what's going on in your life, God has a plan. And God will fulfill his covenant to his people and bring them peace. I have a little introduction in my Bible to Joel. You may have a similar one. The first sentence says, Little is known about the prophet Joel, although his concern for Judah and Jerusalem suggests that he ministered in Judah. The last sentence in my little introduction says this, While the date of the book is uncertain, its message is valid for all time.
That's God's plan. And God's plan is to fulfill his promise, his covenant to his people, and bring them peace. I repeat what Jesus said in John chapter 14. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither, Jesus said, let it be 